In our 2024 lead, Republican presidential hopeful Governor Nikki Haley made a surprise appearance on NBC's Saturday Night Live this weekend, where she hit Trump on his mental fitness and his age. Are you doing okay, Donald? You might need a mental competency test. You know what I did? I took the test and I aced it. Okay, perfect score. They said I'm 100% mental. <laughs> As Haley tries to narrow the gap between her and Trump in South Carolina's Republican presidential primary, CNN's Kylie Atwood takes a look now at how Haley's grumpy old men attacks against Trump and Biden are playing among South Carolina's retirees. These are people making decisions on our national security. These are people making decisions on the future of our economy. We need to know they're at the top of their game. Nikki Haley not backing away from her argument that the American president shouldn't be in their 80s. Mandatory mental competency tests for politicians over 75 years old. It has been a critical piece of the 52-year-old's pitch to voters from day one. One that she has both sharpened. Why are we allowing ourselves to have two 80-year-olds who can't serve eight years, who both are diminished, whether it's in their character or in their mental capacity? And played with in recent weeks. Six cents, remember that one? I see dead people. <laughs> yeah, that's what voters will say if they see you and Joe on the ballot. Oh. Often to an audience filled with retirees, like this bar in Hilton Head, South Carolina. I just don't think our country should be with somebody who's going on its way out when we still have so much young blood. For 69-year-old Maureen Bolger, the idea of moving to a new generation is energizing. South Carolina was the fastest growing state in 2023, largely because of an influx of almost 40,000 retirees. And Haley is betting that they get her argument. I think older people see it too. 61-year-old Anna Memo also fits that target audience. Whether it's the Biden ticket or the Trump ticket, I do feel that it's very important to look at age and consider age and, and cognitive, cognitive skills. But not everyone considering the state's former governor found it to be the best. I do think that we still have people that are 78 and 80 that can be senators and representatives. For Edward Spears, currently an undecided GOP voter, it's just a part of the game. She wants to be elected. If I was a younger candidate, I would do the same thing. That's just a political strategy. And for older Trump supporters, even those interested in Haley, like Carol and Greg Cardi, who moved full-time to Hilton Head nine years ago. I think she's a neat person. We read her book. The tactic of going after Trump's age hasn't been a decisive factor, because they are squarely set on voting for the former president. Typecasting the seniors, and that's not right, because we're individuals. But if she weren't doing these age things, it's not like you would go for her if she had left that argument in the past. If Trump were not running, yes, I would. I'm old, so I'm stubborn. Now, Jake, as you can see from our conversations with older voters, most of them who were looking for an alternative to Trump pretty much well received those age arguments that Haley has been making. The question is how many of them are actually here in South Carolina where Trump remains quite popular? And the other thing I want to note on fundraising, Haley's campaign said over the weekend that in the month of January, they hauled in $16.5 million in donations. That is their biggest fundraising month to date, giving them a significant financial booth heading into South Carolina primary in less than three weeks and potentially beyond. Jake?
All right, Kylie Atwood uh, in Spartansburg, South Carolina. Thanks so much. Let's bring in our political panel to weigh in on this and so much more. Uh, for former Democratic Congressman Max Rose, uh, Haley's called for mental competency tests for politicians over 75. But in her NS, uh, SNL appearance this weekend, she turned her attack line on Trump and Biden's age into, into a punchline. Do you think that, I mean, uh, do you think it's ageism and do you think it will hurt her? It it doesn't really matter. She, her campaign's over. I mean, statistically speaking, she's going to lose South Carolina by 20, 30 points. And right now she's being funded by an array of anti-Trump forces, obviously of which I consider myself one. What's fascinating, though, about the overarching dynamic is this is actually quite helpful for Donald Trump. You know, people are forgetting the disastrous four years that was the Trump presidency, and that's why you're seeing an uptick in his general election numbers. The sooner that this primary is over, the sooner that people can understand this election is a very simple binary choice between crazy and normalcy. And the Biden campaign is looking forward to that contest. And see, according to its latest filing with the uh, FEC, the Federal Election Commission, the RNC has only $8 million in cash on hand. That's the party's lowest fundraising in a decade. Yep. The DNC, uh, the Democratic National Committee, has $21 million cash on hand. Yesterday, in an interview on Fox, uh, former President Trump suggested uh, that the she, he, he alluded to possibly the RNC chair, Ronna McDaniel, who's been very loyal to him. Mm -hmm. uh, he alluded to her leaving, uh, mm -hmm. perhaps uh, unwillingly. Uh, mm -hmm. Take a listen. How's Ronna McDaniel doing? Uh, I think she did great when she ran Michigan for me. I think she did okay initially in the RNC. I would say right now uh, there'll probably be some changes made. That's a polite, that's a polite yes. version of Donald Trump, but he's basically suggesting that she's on her way out and that he's going to be a big part of why. Um, yeah, and would anyone be surprised if Trump just decided I'll be the interim de facto <laughs> head of the RNC? I mean, I, I wouldn't, and it almost doesn't matter who he installs there because it will be someone that will do everything he says. But I'm just reminded of that September in 2015 when Reince Priebus, the then head of the RNC, flew up to New York to beg Donald Trump to sign a loyalty pledge, which should have been the other way around. You know, Donald Trump should have been begging the RNC, give me your support and all of your infrastructure and resources, even though I'm a very unconventional candidate. And I think the flip of that really just foretold what was going to happen to the Republican Party and the RNC, a total Trump takeover. We have with us today for the first time Coleman Hughes. Congratulations. You have a, a brand new book out uh, tomorrow. Yes. It, it is called The End of Race Politics, Arguments for a Colorblind America. In the mm -hmm. book you write, among other things, quote, colorblindness is the wisest principle by which to govern our fragile experiment in multi-ethnic democracy. Can you explain the case you're making for a colorblind society and, and the obvious rebuttal, which is that sounds nice, mm -hmm. but you have uh, institutionalized racism in housing and in other parts of the country mm -hmm. that make that impossible. Yeah, so colorblindness used to be the standard liberal philosophy. For a moment in the 60s when we passed the Civil Rights Act, the idea was that we are going to get race out of public policy and we're going to deal with the legacy of slavery with racial inequality by an intense anti-poverty program that would benefit the black poor and the white poor alike, but would disproportionately benefit the black and, and Hispanic poor because blacks and Hispanics are disproportionately likely to be poor. Right. But that we could do all that on the basis of socioeconomic class rather than race. 
In the past 50 years, there have been a group of scholars, and especially in the past 10 years, it's become much more popular with the rise of critical race theory and so forth, to say that actually colorblindness is not the right way to go. It's a Trojan horse for white supremacy. All it does is allow racial inequality to persist. So what we have to do is aggressively put race into every public policy, including even COVID emergency policies that prioritized emergency aid based on race. I argue that actually the civil rights movement had it right. If you go back, you read Martin Luther King's book, Why We Can't Wait. He says, yes, we have to address the legacy of slavery. Yes, we have to do something special uh, in order to repay the debt to black Americans. But that something should be socioeconomic, class-based policy, doesn't discriminate against anyone on the basis of skin color, and still tackles poverty. That, that should, I think liberals and Democrats should reclaim that as a default position. So uh, race and the Civil War uh, specifically have been a topic that have come up in the 2024 wow. presidential election. Here's another clip from Nikki Haley trying to make light of her fumbled answer a few weeks ago. I was just curious, what would you say was the main cause of the Civil War? Um, and do you think it starts with an S and ends with a lavery? <laughs> Yep, I probably should have said that the first time. Now, in your book, you argue slavery is one of the most heinous examples of race-based policies in the country. Yes. I'm curious as to what you make of the fact that this is still so awkward for some people to talk about, um, like uh, Governor Haley when she gave that first answer and did not mention slavery uh, when asked mm. what the cause of the Civil War was. Well, I'm glad she corrected it. Uh, the, the common talking point on the other side has been that the Civil War is really about states' rights. Now, the easiest way to know that that's not true is because when uh, northern states wanted uh, to, to fight fugitive slave laws, in other words, they didn't want to have to essentially extradite slaves that escaped from the South back to the South, uh, this, no, no one in the South said, actually, those northern states have their own states' rights, and they don't have to right. extradite those. those uh, so it, it wasn't about some principled concern about states' rights. It was about the clash between half the country that wanted to be a slave society and the other half which didn't. All right. Uh, so, so good uh, to have you on the show. We'll have you back. And congratulations again uh, on your book. Really Thank appreciate you. it.